Thanks, Katie. Good morning, everybody. Glad you all found us this morning. Any problems getting here? <laughs> Sorry about that. Last minute, we got a text at like 10 o'clock last night that said, by the way, you're not in your usual spot. So we're like, ah, trying to, <laughs> trying to text and uh, get that on Facebook and email and all that kind of stuff. So glad you guys found us. Um, <clears throat> I want to start off this morning just sharing uh, a story with you about uh, Ivan the Terrible. In addition to being quite a looker, don't you think? <laughs> He's probably uh, really, um, he's quite notorious uh, as a czar of 16th century Russia, best known maybe for his uh, unpredictable behavior and his brutality, quite literally. He was so busy conquering other territories and other countries and, and uh, taking more country uh, that uh, he had no time to find himself a wife. And so uh, that began to bother some of his advisors, some of the other people in the kingdom, because he would have no error, which again would leave uh, any kind of uh, monarchy in big trouble. And so he gave his uh, nobles, uh, he commanded them to find him a suitable wife who was beautiful, who was intelligent, and the daughter of a nobleman. And so they scoured the, you know, the, the, the world, basically, at that time, looking for a potential bride for Ivan the Terrible, and they found her in Greece. Her name was Sophia, and she was the daughter of the king. Ivan asked the king for his daughter's hand in marriage, and uh, the king agreed on one condition, that Ivan be baptized and join the church, the Orthodox Church. Ivan agreed, and so he set out for Greece to be married, accompanied by 500 of his best soldiers. When the soldiers discovered that Ivan was to be baptized, these soldiers said that they wanted too to be baptized. A requirement, though, of baptism was making a profession of faith and affirming the articles uh, of the Orthodox Church, which the soldiers agreed to except for one thing. They, the uh, article that they couldn't affirm was the one which prohibited them from be, being uh, professional soldiers. And so uh, they asked the priest if they could have some time to kind of figure out this dilemma. How in the world could they get baptized and sort of show their camaraderie that they were there with Ivan and at the same time continue to be uh, professional soldiers? So they thought about it, thought about it. Finally, they said, okay, we got it. They uh, called the priest together. They were ready to be baptized. Um, and they devised a plan. Uh, and so they went down to the, to the water, 500 of them, all at the same time with 500 priests. And as the priests were just about ready to baptize them and put them under the water, each one of the soldiers grabbed their sword and held their arm high in the air. And so they were baptized, just not their fighting arm and their sword. <laughs> they thought that was the dilemma. Uh, that was the solution to their dilemma. So those that were there that they said at, at the mass baptism said it was uh, uh, quite the spectacle to see, right? To see 500 guys getting baptized, but 500 dry arms with 500 swords sticking up from out of the water. What are the soldiers saying by that statement, by the way? What were they saying? What do you think? That's right, not all of me, right? God, you can have some of me, right? You can have this much, but you cannot have my job. I'm a soldier first is sort of what they're saying. Just stay out of that compartment, God. The ironic part is they probably thought that God was pleased with this, right? They probably thought, uh, you know, maybe they, they fooled God or something like that. But uh, let's be honest, is that honoring to God? Is that what God has in mind for our lives and for our hearts almost all of us? Is that, is that his plan? Is, that, is he fooled by that kind of thing? No, that's not what God desires. And yet I think it happens in our lives all the time. 
with our money, right, with our marriages sometimes, our career path, who we're choosing to be with, how we're choosing to live or whatever, we tend to hold back an area or two or three of our lives. We sort of hold it out of the water, so to speak, and say by our actions, God, you can have all of me except, right, except this or except that. You can have all of me except this one or two or three areas. Well, we're on week number three of a series that we're doing here at Ignite called Cultivate, Strengthen Your Faith in 2016. And over the last couple of weeks, uh, we've been, we've been kind of helping you to set up a spiritual growth plan. And uh, if you weren't here last week, I will give you a little, little bit of a heads up. Um, there's these cards. You can find them. They're on the back table. I'd encourage you to grab one on the way out, but actually just put that up. Last week, we spent quite a bit of time walking through the spiritual journey and just saying, uh, just having, helping people to identify where they're at in this whole spiritual spectrum. And we kind of painted a picture starting on the four, far left and said, we, we basically said everybody's on a spiritual journey of some sort. There's some place in their relationship with God. Over on the far left is those that are more like not interested, right? They're saying, they've kind of got their hand out like saying, stop, I don't want to talk about this spiritual stuff, uh, that kind of stuff. And we said, That's, there are people that are in that, in that kind of spot. They're not, not super open, not super interested, um, oftentimes have some misconceptions about Christianity. Christianity, some of that kind of stuff, but then, uh, but th- there's some as well that that eventually uh, kind of move into the next category, which is curiously seeking, and that's we said that's basically where most of our world is at. It seems like most of our country, anyway, where people are like open. They're spiritual beings, right? They're open to spiritual stuff. If you go into a coffee shop, you'll hear people kind of talking about spiritual things. They might uh, they they might grab a little bit from here and a little bit from there. I, I think I refer to it as Oprah spirituality, right? A little bit from a whole bunch of different places, and they kind of put it together and they heard some things on talk shows and they heard some things at church and they heard some things on Facebook. It must be true, right? And so they kind of put all these things together and uh, they don't, I mean, they don't think about God a ton, but they're open to him. They kind of believe in the concept of God. And we said at some point though, for for many people, uh, there's there's a, a shift that happens when they move from just being curiously seeking and sort of open to talking about spiritual things to all of a sudden maybe they meet a Christ follower that's different than what they expected. Maybe uh, there's some uh, significant circumstances or pain that happened in their life that caused them to want to seek God a little bit more. Uh, Who knows? Maybe God reveals himself to them in some significant way and the switch goes on and they're like, "Not, not only do I believe in the concept of God, but I think there's something to this and I'm going to find out what it is. I'm going to find out who this Jesus guy is. So that's the next category. That's the assertively seeking, the, the number three kind of category. We said some people are there in all of these places. They're a good place to, to be, but we, we always want to be growing. We always want to be taking the next step. We don't want to stall out at any of these. It's a bad destination, but a good, but good spot on the journey. We said after people get to that third, that third place and they're assertively seeking and they're, they're finding answers, we, we said there's a, there comes a time in which they've seen enough, they've experienced enough of God, they've maybe read enough of his word, they've maybe uh, prayed enough and seen God work or who knows what. But when they come to the, the c- conclusion, the decision that, you know what, I think it's true. I think this Jesus guy really is 
where life is at. I think there really is forgiveness and in, in new life in his name. And at that point, people open up their hearts and their lives to Christ, and they, and they say, I need you, Jesus, right? They put their trust in him, and everything changes. This is the point that the Bible refers to as this is what it means to be a Christian, right? It's, it's when we, op- we, we finally give up trying to just be good enough on our own. We turn to, to Christ and we say, I need you to come and forgive me, to come and wash me, and to be my God and lead me from this point forward. When we put our trust in him like that, according to the Bible, we are made new, right? We are given new life. And every point on from here is just a spiritual growth. It's just getting closer and closer in our relationship to God. So that next step we said is experiencing new life. That's number five on the whole spectrum. We said that's, that's a lot of times it's, uh, where, where faith is new and it's fun and there's joy. You're kind of getting to know God's voice. You're opening up his word and, and you feel like God's speaking to you in the midst of that. Uh, a lot of times we said that our, 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 uh, our lives, our, our lifestyles, or certain areas kind of trail behind. The transformation isn't really fully complete. It's still new. We're still learning to follow Jesus, but there, there's sections of our lives that aren't yet uh, there. I, I gave the example last week, if I can remember being in that category, and, uh, and I, I swore like a sailor. I had for years and years and years, and I couldn't stop. And so while my heart had been transformed and I was learning to walk with Christ, I didn't like it. It didn't really look like it in, in some of the areas because the transformation was still happening. I was, it was all fresh for me and pretty new. So after that, the next category is we said uh, growing in community. And that's sometimes that goes from just me and Jesus to we and Jesus. We start understanding how significant it is for us to live in relationships with other believers and how they sharpen us and they inspire us. And sometimes we learn how to, how to really connect with God. We learn how to pray more or better. Sometimes we learn about our gifts and how to serve but it, it happens in the context of community, of a group of people, the church, right? And we find that, that, uh, that we have a unique contribution to make there. Uh, uh, at this stage, a lot, of our, uh, a lot of the transformation has happened. Our, our lives are looking a lot more like they're supposed to as a life of a Christ follower than they did in the previous category. But of course, there's always more and more transformation happening. And that's the last stage is the... No, this is what, this is where it's all going if we continue to grow, if we continue to follow Christ, and we call it missional, uh, or living missionally. And we said, man, it's people in this category, first of all, there's a depth and an intimacy in their relationship with God, uh, and they, they seek him every day. They spend time with him uh, in his word. They spend time praying with him. There's, there's a, a kind of a solidness of soul in them. It, you know, it's like that song we sang earlier, that they can say, no matter what's happening externally, they can say, it's well with my soul. It might be painful. It might be hard. It might not be the way I want it to be all the time, and yet I trust in the living God, and he has proven himself to me in such a way that it's well, it's okay with my soul. But we said, we said in this category, number seven, this, this living missionally, the, the focus is not just here on just me and God, nor is it just on we and God, but there's really uh, this maturity that comes that said, you know what? I really believe that, that, that part of my expression and part of my growth and part of how God is glorified in me is by me serving others, by me loving others, by me eating others. You know, there's this uh, phrase that gets talked about sometimes in church, and we use it in a totally non-biblical way, but people will leave the church and they'll be like, you know what, I'm just not getting fed there, right? Or, or they'll come in and they'll be like, I just want to be fed. And there's, we kind of use it to mean, man, if there's not like Greek words that are getting shared regularly and if there's not like big 
theological ideas or something. We say, I'm just not being fed, you know, that kind of stuff. And yet uh, the term to be fed comes from the New Testament and it's used in the context of feeding others, right? And, and that's this missional living, right? Because babies need to be fed, right? Toddlers and on through adolescence, Lord, to feed themselves, adults feed others, and that's how it is spiritually. People in this category are, are they, they're self-feeders. They're, they're fine. Them and God are okay. They're plugged in and serving, using their gifts to help raise others up. They're mentoring people. They're sharing Jesus with people. They're living out the mission of God wherever they're at because they recognize he's the most important thing. I better not spend too much more time, but you kind of get the spectrum, you kind of get the idea that there's a journey, and we, what we said last week is we said, man, identify where you're at, which one of these categories do you fit into, because all of us are someplace, and not only, even, when, even if you have bits and pieces of you that are in the, the final one, we said, it's not really as linear as that, because there's, there's probably some in the category before, or, you know, one or two before, and you kind of weave in and out of those in different eras, or different seasons of your life, but we said, find where you are, and then identify where would you like to be next year? And then what's one or two or three things that you could do practices, training kinds of pieces that you could put in, you know, kind of regular routines you could put into place in your life that would help you grow so that you are further down the journey next year than you are now. And the that you would, you know, grow a little closer to God than you are right now. Fair enough, because if we do nothing, you know where we're going to be next year? Same place at best, right? At best, we'll be exactly where we are. And it seems like so often we drift through life that way. And we're just saying, man, as a church, imagine what, what God would do if together, if, if in the context of community, in the context of some accountability, we each identified one or two or three things and said, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come up with a growth plan for the upcoming year, a, a couple things that I can do, a couple rhythms and habits, and I'm gonna put them into practice, not legalistically, but as a regular rhythm of my life so that this year can be more transformational in me, so that I can grow more with God more this year than I ever have before. If you, have, if you weren't here last week, by the way, I'd encourage you to listen on the app or on our website or on iTunes. You can find uh, the, uh, the message. I'd encourage, encourage you to listen to it this week. You can also pick one of these up on the back table that has the journey. If you want to think about it some more, take it home with you. Um, that kind of stuff, uh, but we're trying to give you everything you need to grow. We've also got tools on the app I mentioned last week, resources, all that kind of stuff. I'll mention this too because this is so cool. I, I showed you last week, but uh, for those of you that have kids that are in, uh, in any of the kids' ministry or, is, or are that ages, uh, would encourage you to pick one of these up on the way out today. We're trying to help equip you and give you fun and easy ways that you can do some family devotions. One time a week from now through Easter, there's a book, Shelley Bass who's serving back there today, I think. Uh, but Shelly uh, actually helped write this and put this all together, put this whole basket together, devotions. They're fun, they're engaging. This is everything you need, all the supplies you need pretty much to make that happen. Is that not cool? And so it's a way that we're, again, it's, just a, it's a tool that we're giving you saying, man, we want to help you, we want to help your family grow this year. And so you can pick one of those up. It's on the, like over by the check-in uh, station for kids. You can pick one of those up on the way out today. I would encourage you to do so. And then one time a week for the next, uh, for the next I don't know, however many weeks between now and Easter, uh, sit down with your family, do a fun project. It's got a little bit of scripture and a way to pray. Nothing intimidating. You can do this, okay? 
And if you don't have kids in that age, there's all kinds of other things. We've got books on the back table, again, that are identified by what category you're in in the spectrum that would help you grow. There's some devotionals. There's tons of, of stuff we've got on the app. would encourage you uh, to take some steps. What we said last week is don't just sit there, right? Do something, right? Take a step or two or three to help you grow in the upcoming year. All right, we've been planning this series since last summer, and so we've put a lot of thought, a lot of prayer, a lot of time uh, in on this. But one of the things that, that uh, started occurring to me as, we were, as it was getting closer and kind of something that I felt like God was speaking to me about is this whole idea of just helping people come up with a spiritual growth plan. It's too easy for us to compartmentalize and to separate that out and say, okay, well, I'll grow spiritually, and that's the God box, and I'll let that get baptized, right? But I'm still going to have an area or two or three in my life that I'm going to hold out of the way. And sometimes the things that we're, in fact, always probably, the things we're holding up out of, you know, out, of the, out of the water, the things that we're trying to hold back from God and keep him out of, those are the areas that we need transformation the most, right? Those are the areas that we need to grow in the most. And so there's a couple of different things, uh, areas that we're going to hit over the next couple weeks that I think uh, sometimes we, we separate out from our spiritual lives, uh, but I think we'll see as we go through the day today, but I think they're completely interconnected. They're completely connected. Whether it be uh, the way that we spend our money, whether it be marriages and family, whether it be all kinds of things, we are holistic people. It's tied to who we are spiritually and how we're doing with God. And God doesn't want to just have one little compartment of our lives. He wants all of us. He wants all of our hearts, all of who we are. And so today, I want to take a minute and uh, talk about one specific compartment that's directly tied to our spiritual lives. I told our growth group this week that it is uh, the area, it is the, the, the topic that we're going to talk about that I'm pretty sure is the biggest growth area for me personally of all the weeks of this series. This is the one that I said uh, God is uh, most likely and has already been kicking my butt on, right? kind of saying this will likely, in fact, this will be a, w- one of the, the areas on my spiritual growth plan for the upcoming year that needs some work. And I don't know, maybe as we go through it, maybe there'll be an area or two or three that we're going to talk about today that maybe applies to you as well. And it's the whole area of physical health. And so I'm preaching to myself here, but again, maybe there's something that God has for you in the midst of it. Fair enough? Listen to some of these stats that I found this week uh, that would indicate that maybe it's an issue for more of us than, uh, than we would like to admit. According to the Journal of Clinical Psychology, two of the top five New Year's resolutions in America every single year have to do with weight, health, and body image. Number, it's, it includes the number one, the most common resolution is to lose weight, and number five is to stay healthy and fit. Another one, according to the CDC, uh, 65% of Americans are considered to be overweight or obese, including one out of every three children, 60, almost two-thirds of our country. By 2030, it's estimated that 32 million more Americans will be considered obese. Every state in the union, all 50 states, have at least 20% of the population that's considered obese, up significantly from 1995 when not a single state would have fallen into that category. Isn't that crazy? So we're packing on the pounds more and more and more. As a result, diabetes, diabetes and heart disease have exploded in the last five to 10 years because of weight-related issues. Listen to this one. This one I thought was fascinating. Uh, 
A, a University of uh, Pittsburgh study uh, that I read showed that, <laughs> this is crazy, but when our weight goes up, the, 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 the bigger we get, the more pounds that we pack on, the actual size of your brain goes down. Isn't that crazy? I'm like, well, <laughs> I'm not as smart as I used to be. <laughs> but but they, I, don't, I don't really get why, but they, they said there's like clinical research that's linking, the, right? The bigger we get, the, the less mass our brains actually have, which means my sermon will get longer and longer. <laughs> so sorry about that. Uh, right now, another interesting stat. And right now, globally, there are as many people that are dying, uh, quote, quote, right, dying or having their health impacted from obesity as there are people that are dying from malnutrition. 1.1 billion people are suffering from obesity and overweight kind of things and all the health concerns that come from that. And there's about 1.1 down here that are starving to death and dealing with the health-related issues, dealing with malnutrition. Isn't that crazy? You, you hear that and you think, what is wrong with, <laughs> with this picture? Something is not right. Well, let me move off the weight thing so we can all feel a little bit more at ease. But people now sleep, sleep, let's think about this. People now sleep two and a half hours fewer every, per night than their grandparents did 100 years ago. We sleep two and a half fewer hours each night than we did 100 years ago. I read this article by a well-known doctor and researcher that says, if you get less than six hours sleep a night, you have a lower overall blood flow to your brain. What that means is more bad decisions. Isn't that crazy? Poorer blood flow to your brain. Does that sound like a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> you guys are not with me. Come on. Does that sound like a good thing or a bad thing? Yeah, you think? I've got a cousin that works for the government, and I was connecting with him over Christmas. I thought this was fascinating. And he does research for them in all different kinds of areas and sort of dips in, uh, especially with the military these days, uh, to talk about um, and to, to research um, how things like sleep, exercise, vitamins, what they eat, how that affects performance uh, amongst different people. He's been working recently with uh, the Marine Corps and, uh, and found, uh, and he was just talking about how difficult it is to sort of convince people in such a way that brings life change. And he said, for instance, the average Marine, U.S. Marine, gets about five hours of sleep a night. And he's like, and I'm not talking about just when they're in combat. He's like, but then when they get back to base and they're hanging out, they just are in this rut, this rhythm where they don't sleep. He said, and what, we, what the research shows is that getting about five hours of sleep per night over the long haul has the same effect as having a 1.2% blood alcohol uh, content you know, in your blood. 1.2%. He says it slows your reflexes. It, it makes your thinking fuzzier, right? It, it affects, it impedes your judgment, all this kind of thing. And he said, and then we give them fully automatic weapons. <laughs> you know, like, what's wrong with this picture? But it, I, I don't know. Isn't that crazy? The, five hours of sleep a night. And I, I hear stats like this, like we're talking about weight, we're talking about exercise, we're talking about sleep, we're talking about all these physical things. And I think, man, how many of us would fall in that category? How many of us are getting such little sleep that really we're dazed when we're going through life where we're not clear? Maybe we're not growing spiritually as good as we could because we're just not getting the sleep we need. How many of us uh, are, are having <laughs> uh, weight issues that are impacting the rest of our lives? How many of us are eating in such a way that we are setting ourselves up for all kinds of health problems later on so that we will not be able to finish our race well Again, am I preaching myself here? Absolutely. 
isn't that convicting though? Like I just, I find myself asking the question, what is going on? We're a piled on, stretched to the limit society. We're chronically rushed. We're chronically overweight. We're chronically exhausted. And I find myself thinking, yeah, but that's just the physical side of our lives, right? That doesn't really impact the spiritual, does it? That doesn't really impact the rest of our lives, does it? Well, I was, as I was studying this week, I was just reminded, and you know where I'm going to, with this, but I was just reminded of different scriptures and the way you kind of see these tied together. Jesus, for instance, at the end of his life was uh, knowing that he was going to the cross, knowing what he was going to have to suffer. He goes into the garden uh, of Gethsemane and he prays. And he brings with him a few of his other, his followers, his friends, and asks them to pray with him. You guys remember the story, right? And so he prays. It is just kind of light, lightweight prayer, like, oh, Father, bless me. Is that kind of the, the way he prays? It's agonizing, right? I mean, uh, w- one of the, uh, the Gospels talks about him sweating drops of blood because there's so much intensity and stress and stuff that he's dealing with, right? I mean, he's looking to the cross, one of the most brutal forms of execution ever devised by man. I mean, horrible, horrible. He's looking ahead to that. He's praying and wrestling with God in prayer. God, if it's possible, is there a different way? Is there a, is there a plan B that we can go with here? And then he said, but, but he says, yet not my will, but yours be done. He's agonizing and he's asking his friends to sit there and pray with him. And at one point, it says after maybe an hour, he goes back to his friends who were supposed to be praying and he finds them what? Sleeping. <laughs> Right? And uh, he says this. I thought this was fascinating. Matthew 26, 41. He says this. He says, friends, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. He's looking ahead to what's coming as they're going to scatter and abandon. But listen to this next, this next part of the verse. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He's saying danger, 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 right? The spirit is willing, but the flesh, the body, he's saying, is weak. I wonder how often that's true for you and me. I desire to grow in my relationship with God. I desire to serve. I desire to love those around me well, and yet my flesh is weak. I'm tired, and I am not prepared. I'm not ready. I'm not trained in such a way that I can handle what God puts before me. The physical and the spiritual are not as inseparable as we think they are, or not as separate, I should say, as we think they are. You know, we don't, we don't really like to talk about it. I'm not sure I've ever really heard a message on it in any church I've been to over the last 25 years. We don't talk about it much, but did you know that both gluttony and sloth, which is like a, the Old Testament word that gets used for kind of laziness or just that kind of thing, they're considered sins in the Bible. Do you know that? Gluttony or sloth. Gluttony means literally to gulp. <laughs> almost always used together with the term drunkenness because both of them have this idea of unrestrained indulgence. Gluttony and sloth have negative spiritual impact. They're sins. They separate us from God and from the life that he wants us to have. They are cons- even though they are physical sins, sins regarding the body, God ties them to the spiritual. Listen to this. One of the Ten Commandments has to do with rest. <laughs> Did you ever think about that? I mean, we don't, again, we don't like, like to really think about that too much or we like to kind of mumble when we talk about that or, or, uh, or whatever. But listen to this, Exodus 20, 8 through 11. It says this, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall do your work and your labor. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. 
On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter or male servant or female servant, nor your animals nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, because of that, it says, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. At the end of the Ten Commandments, we're told that these commandments are given so that we may enjoy long life. God has given us a rhythm for life. And he says one day a week you need to set apart. It's to, be, it's to be a Sabbath. It's to be set apart for worship, right? Remembering the Lord your God, which is the spiritual part, and for rest, which is the physical part. They're to be combined into one thing called the Sabbath. They're not as separate as we think they are. There's a link, Romans 12, 1. I thought this was fascinating. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, right, to offer your bodies, it says, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. It's interesting to me. We're told not to offer our spirits to God, not to offer our wills to God as our act of worship, but we're to offer our bodies, True and proper worship involves not just offering ourselves spiritually, of course, that includes that as well, but physically as well to God. You can't separate or compartmentalize the spiritual from every other part. It's all to, to belong to God. And I think we know this to be true. They, they impact one another. We know this to be true, don't we? I mean, when I'm disciplined physically, I'm more likely to be disciplined spiritually. When I'm not getting enough sleep, it impacts all the other areas. I'm, less, I'm more likely to be snippy with my wife and kids. I'm more likely to get angry. I'm less likely to stay focused. If I, if I get down on my knees to pray, right, and I close my eyes, what happens? I'm either drifting off or I'm thinking about all kinds of other things, right? Because there's some sort of connection between all, all these different parts uh, of us, the physical as well as the spiritual. One more scripture, and this one I, I spent quite a bit of time on. It's a little longer, but stick with me. 1 Corinthians 16, 12 through 20 says this, All things are lawful or permissible for me, but not all things are helpful or beneficial. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy both one and then the other, meaning they're not going to last. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised uh, the Lord and will, and will raise us by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never, he says. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it's written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one in spirit with him. Therefore flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits outside his body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Now listen to this. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. This passage is dealing with sexual immorality, right? Like we've seen, like it was pretty clear. But its implications and its teachings are much broader than that. Your body, it says, is a temple for the living God. It's a home, it's a house, it's a dwelling place for the living God. He says, therefore, honor or glorify God with your body. 
Here's the sermon in a sentence today, right? This is the phrase that kept going through my mind this week. Our bodies are intended to glorify God, not gratify ourselves. Say that with me. Our bodies are intended to glorify God, not just gratify ourselves. It's crazy, but it seems like this is so rare. This kind of thinking is so rare. No matter where you fall on, on, on this equation, whether you're really disciplined uh, physically or whether you're on the other end of the spectrum and not so disciplined physically. It seems like either one of how, how rare it is to see somebody live their lives physically in such a way that they're doing it to honor and glorify God. It seems like we're either on one end or the other. Either we indulge and we eat whatever we want. Man, I have to say, I've got the biggest sweet tooth in the world, and it's easy for me to gulp, right? It's easy for me to eat treats and sweets. Uh, we ha- we kind of joke about it. I-, I go for more of the hardcore sweets, like anything that's like pretty much as sugary as you can even imagine. Tina, on the other hand, cookies for her are like kryptonite, right? You come home with a bag of cookies or something, you'd be like, hey, where'd those cookies go? She'd be like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> like what, what are you talking about? Some people like salty. That's their thing, right? Comfort food. They'll, they'll, uh, they'll, they'll come home and they'll open up a bag of chips and sit in the chair and just pound down chips or whatever salty kind of treat it is, right? But it's, it's easy to kind of be undisciplined, satisfied, sort of gratify ourselves, sort of indulge in those kind of things. To gratify instead of glorify God with how we treat our bodies. It's so easy to do. And likewise, on the other side of the thing, there are some people that are very disciplined, very disciplined with their diet, very disciplined about running, very disciplined about going to the gym or being careful with what you eat or whatever. But it seems like even then, so often we're doing it so that we look good. Is that not true? Man, I want to look good, right? I want to be chiseled, and I want to be this, and I want to be strong. I don't want to be fat. I want to be good looking. I want to look the way I want to look. Sometimes people starve themselves, right, to try and look the way they want to look. But again, who is that about? Is that glorifying to God, or is it in some way still gratifying me and what I want? How rare it is that we can find the balance in the middle, right? We're like, you know what? It's not really about me, uh, you know, gorging myself and getting all that I want over here or me starving myself and living at the gym so I can get what I want over here. But it's about living in somewhere in the middle being like, you know, I want to glorify God in, my, in all my decisions, not just in the spiritual life, but in every compartment in my world. I want to live my life for Christ. What if, it isn't just spiritual or physical. What if it's all meant to be for God? What if we recognize that we belong to Jesus first and foremost, more than anything? He made us. He died for us. He has redeemed us. He's remaking us more and more into his image. He lives inside of us, and therefore we are God's temple. We are God's house. Our bodies and souls, our lives are to reflect and honor and show him to a world that desperately needs him. 2 Corinthians 4, which is up here, says this, for we, uh, what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus Christ. The light of God's glory reflected through us. But we have this treasure in jars of clay 
to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are but jars of clay. It says the real treasure is within, right? That's the good stuff. What if our physical health decisions are just other opportunities for us to grow spiritually and to show Christ to a world that needs it? What if our eating decisions are spiritual decisions? What if our exercise decisions are more about God than they are about us? What if every part of our lives are lived to display the glory of God and not just indulge or gratify ourselves? Our bodies are intended to glorify God, not just to gratify ourselves. You were bought with a price. Therefore, it says, honor God with your bodies. Well, let's do some application here. What do you think that means? What does it mean to honor God with your body? I want you to take just a minute and turn to a person or two or three around you and answer that question. What does it look like for you to honor God with your body in the amount of sleep you get, in the way you exercise, in the what you eat, in anything regarding kind of physical health stuff, okay? Take just a minute or two, talk about that with people around you. What does it mean to honor God with your body? What would that look like? It's okay to talk in church. All right, what do you guys think? What are some of the answers that you're, that you're, that you're throwing out? Uh, what's that? Drink lots of water. Sure, absolutely. What else? Bing! Maintain moderation, right? Don't be mastered by anything. Straight from the scripture, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Is it okay to have a cookie? Sure. Is it okay to eat something you enjoy? Sure, in moderation, right? Is it probably also mean to maybe we should be watching the fuel that we're putting into our bodies that way? Probably. Does it mean maybe I should be a little more careful about uh, taking a lunch to work rather than going out to eat and getting fast food? Probably, <laughs> right? I mean, there's, there's lots of application. What else have you talked about? What do you think it means to glorify God in the area of sleep for you? What would that look like? Huh? Go to bed earlier? Yeah, I mean, just a more sustainable rhythm so that you can be prepared for whatever God has for you, right? Now, does that mean you can never stay up late? Never ever mean you, you know, does that mean you can't watch a movie, stay up late sometimes? No, of course not. But what if our regular rhythm was such that it was sustainable, right? That it was glorifying to God so that we are fully prepared and ready for whatever he has for us. What does that mean in the area of, uh, do we hit much exercise stuff? I don't think so. Exercise stuff, is, you know, training stuff. Okay, you guys are weak. Nobody wants to say, they're like, don't make eye contact, right? Don't, don't call on me, I don't want to say, right? Does that mean we should maybe be a little better about exercising? Does that mean that we need to go six days a week and be a machine? Maybe, but probably not, right? I mean, like, it doesn't have to be. I, the thing, the, here's what I want us to hear, right? I can be me, right? I don't have to be this imaginary, made-up, perfect, chiseled, whatever, super, you know, kind of person. I can be me and still glorify God with my body. Does that mean I'm going to make some different decisions? Does that mean I'm going to include some different things in my yearly and weekly and monthly rhythms? Absolutely. Am I going to rest differently? Yeah. Am I going to eat differently? Yeah. Am I going to exercise d differently? Yeah. I mean, right, but what would, it, what would it be like if we really lived our lives that way? 
seeking, really seeking first his kingdom, seeking his plan and his glory to be seen through me through every decision I make. I wonder what that means for you. I wonder for you, I mean, I, I know for me <laughs> that this isn't, like I said, there's, an, there's one or two of the bullets that are going to my spiritual growth plan for this year that have to do with this whole area because my, the physical area for me impacts everything else and it does for you too. How about you? If you've got these cards from last week, I'd encourage you to take it out on the back where right? you started spiritual growth plan. If not, it's probably at home. You can take out your programs if you've got them uh, and, and just kind of think about is there an area or two or three in which if you're honest, you're not glorifying God in your body these days. And if so, what's one or two things that you could do in the upcoming year? Uh, something that's doable, not like, not going from I don't do anything to I'm gonna 350 times next year I'm gonna be at the gym, right? And, uh, no, but like is there, is there a realistic, a, a next step or two that you can take to move in that direction? Go ahead and write it down, seriously. I encourage everybody to get out of pen and just think, is there an area that God's asking me to do? As you're doing that, I'll just, I'll just remind you, we put some, re some great resources on the app this week having to do with this area. Um, I asked a couple people that are better at this area than me. I'm like, okay, what would be good? What would be helpful? Um, Stephanie Seidel, you guys know uh, Paul and Stephanie, they're uh, campus pastor over in Sunnyland. Uh, Stephanie is great in this area, especially with food and that kind of stuff. And she's, she gave us the name of an app, uh, which is called My Fitness Pal. She says, it's great. She said this, and, and it's true. This is what she does for a living as well. But she says, those people that keep track of what they eat and drink, according to the research, will do much better at living a healthy lifestyle and keeping weight off. This, this app is called MyFitnessPal. It helps you keep track of what you eat and drink and how you're doing in terms of calorie intake, in terms of overall health. Maybe that's an area that you can put into practice um, this year or uh, starting this week. I also put a couple of different articles on there about uh, setting up a, a, an exercise or setting up some running kinds of uh, things. There's a, a great uh, article on basically helping you to get from zero to two miles, which they said is the hardest part of getting on a running schedule, of getting up to, to running two miles. So they, they've got uh, some things like that. I don't know what it is. For me, I think I've come to the conclusion of I need accountability <laughs> in this area. That's, that's really the whole deal for me. I, I've, I've been saying it for years, and so I try, I try to find people. I'm always on the lookout for people who can run with me, like let, that I enjoy being with, but instead of planning time for coffee, that will go running with me because I need that accountability. Otherwise, I'm positive with 100% certainty. I, I will always find that I am too busy to do that. <laughs> like I'm just never going to do it without accountability, so I'm always on the lookout. Like Who can I I get, and I think that's one of mine this year, is to find some accountability around this whole area of exercise. Again, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to run a marathon this year. That's not who I am, but to start do, getting regular cardios uh, into, into my life, I think will make a, a significant difference for me physically and spiritually. How about for you? Our bodies are not, are, are intended not to gratify ourselves, but to glorify God. I wonder if there's an area or two in your physical world that maybe God's asking you to step, to grow in over the upcoming year. Like I said last week, I'd encourage you to identify it, number one, to share it with somebody today, <laughs> number two, share what those steps are, and then put it into practice uh, tomorrow, right, within, within the next 24 hours. You, according to scripture, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You're a house of God. That's who you are the living God 
has taken up residence in you, and he wants you to live in such a way that he can be displayed in everything you say and do. Let's close in prayer. Father, we, we uh, thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you that, uh, that you want all of us and that you have good and perfect plans for our lives, Lord. And I pray that you would just take this whole area of uh, our physical lives and that you would bring it under your authority this week, that you teach us to follow you, you teach us um, and, and teach us to welcome accountability, that you would uh, help us to put some of these plans and practices in a place that 2016 can really be a breakout year for us in every realm, that we would grow, that you would be more honored, that we would come to know you and love you more and more and more, and that you would be seen in what we say and what we do and how we live in every compartment of our lives. God, we love you, we need you. We offer ourselves to you afresh this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.